God is appearing the world for the fullest revelation of end time truth, a total comprehensive message of health to be given to the last generation. This is Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. Today's message, Wholeness in a Broken World, Part 1. Enjoy, and remember you can always catch up with past messages and stay up to date with Hope Lives 365 and Pastor Mark by going to hopelives365.com. And now, Pastor Mark Finley. No night had ever seemed so long. They wept and they prayed, and then they wept some more. Like the early disciples, their Lord was taken from them, and they knew not where he went. And they spent most of that night in praying, these early disappointed Advent believers. As the sun rose in the eastern sky, painting the horizon as with the beauty of the master artist's brush. They were feeling more confident. They were feeling that although they did not know the answer to their dilemma of the disappointment, that God would reveal to them his light and his truth. And so Hiram Edson and his friend O.R.L. Crozier decided to leave the barn where they were praying and traverse across Edson's cornfield and encourage some of those other early Advent believers. And as they were trudging across that cornfield, Edson lingered behind his friend, and soon he began to think about the prophecies of the book of Daniel. And soon in his mind, he began to connect the dots. And soon as if in heavenly vision, he sensed that The sanctuary was not the earth to be cleansed by fire, but it was the most holy place where Jesus would enter into his final phase of judgment. And there, looking through the open door of the sanctuary, light came to Christ's people. As these early Adventists continued to study the subject of the sanctuary and look through its open door, God's truth became clearer to them. Now, what did they see? when they look through that open door of the sanctuary? And more important, what do we see when we look through the open door of heaven's sanctuary? And even more specifically, what does a view of the sanctuary have to do with a group of health professionals gathered in a place called San Diego in 2014 at their 10th annual health conference? Does the sanctuary say anything to us about health? Does it give any direction to us in our message today? I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation, the third chapter. We're looking there at Revelation chapter 3. And Revelation chapter 2 and 3 describes the history of the Christian church. And Seventh-day Adventists believe that although the messages to the seven churches have relevance to every generation, that the message to these seven churches speaks to specific ages in church history, beginning with Ephesus in the first epoch of church history down to the church at Laodicea. But it's the church of Philadelphia that we want to look at. Adventists historically have believed that this period runs someplace in the 1831 to the 1844, that early pre-Advent period. And here, Adventists 
looking here at this church called Philadelphia have seen the church of the open door. We're looking there at the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. And looking there at verses 7 and 8. Notice the text of scripture. Listen to the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, and he who is true, and he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now notice some things about the text. This is the church at Philadelphia. What do we know about the church at Philadelphia? I've traveled to the seven churches sites on numerous occasions. Some of you have traveled there with me. I love Philadelphia. Years ago, I made friends of the curator of the church at Philadelphia. He is a Muslim and a, really a good friend. And so the first time I was there, I was taping television programs, or it is written television, and it was a rainy, cold day, and I was shivering. I had a crew of about eight with me. And uh, as we were there, the Muslim curator at the Church of Philadelphia at the archaeological site saw me shivering. And he said, uh, can I help you? Let my wife get you some apple herbal tea. So he brought me herbal tea and we sat and talked in true Turkish tradition, Muslim tradition for a couple hours. And then we went back and did the rest of our telecast. The next time I came back, I had about 60 on a tour group. And he said, oh, I couldn't let you go without giving you herbal tea. And so he served our 60 herbal tea. Next time I came back, I think I had two or three buses, about 250 uh, Bible teachers. And he said, my wife is not here today. <laughs> Philadelphia was, is a wonderful place. Now, the significance of Philadelphia is this. Uh, Philadelphia was built as a gateway city to Asia. It was a transition between Europe and Asia. It was a gateway city. The Greek European sophisticated culture was passed through. It was, the city actually was built for this purpose, for missionary purposes. It was built to take the Greek culture to barbarians that were living in this area. And so when you think of Philadelphia, you think of a doorway, you think of an open doorway for the spread of Greek culture. So here, in language that those living in the first century would understand, here, the John writes, verse 8, last part of verse 7, rather, these things say he was holy, he was true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Early Adventists, looking through the door of the sanctuary in heaven that was open, seeing Jesus in the most holy place of that sanctuary, saw light shining through the door of that sanctuary, and they sensed there is a door open. Now, open doors represent opportunity. Open doors represent possibilities. Throughout the New Testament, we read about those open doors of possibilities. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So in the New Testament, the open door of the sanctuary represents the open door of possibility, the open door of heaven's grace, the open door of heaven's mercy, the open door of all the gifts of heaven flowing earthward to human beings. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And notice how Paul uses this expression of the open door. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2. You're looking there at verses 12 and onward. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me of the Lord. When Jesus opened the door of heaven's sanctuary into the most holy place for the glorious light of the end time message of truth to shine upon the world, he was opening a door of opportunity for all mankind. Here in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul uses the symbol of a door to represent possibility, opportunity. Now, Paul gets nervous. Here, his colleague is to meet him there at Troas. Verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of him, I departed from Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Paul says, I'm nervous. There's a door of opportunity open. This is a divine moment of destiny. I cannot miss it now. Just as God providentially opened doors in the New Testament era for the rapid fulfillment of his mission in the proclamation of the gospel. So we can accept, we can expect at end time, we can expect when the door of heaven's sanctuary is open and all the grace and love of God flows through that door to an earthward people, we can expect that God will rapidly and at times unexpectedly open doors for his end time people. Now the first lesson from the open door of the sanctuary is this. Its light is shining upon us today. Look for open doors in your community. As medical professionals, the open door of the sanctuary is symbolic of open doors that God is going to have for you in your community. God is going to open doors for you as well in the hearts and minds of your patients. Don't become so busy, so consumed, so engrossed that you miss the open doors of opportunity. Would it not be a tragedy if a woman coming to be treated by you, going through the trauma of a divorce, depressed, has an open door to have you pray with her and you fail that opportunity? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if somebody who's struggling with their kids that are strung out on drugs that has hypertension over that, that's experiencing the anxiety and stress that elevates blood cholesterol and that, that elevates LDL. Would, would it not be a tragedy if somebody comes to you and you give them stress medication, some kind of medication to reduce the stress, but you never deal with the cause of that stress, which is the anxiety over their kids? Would it not be a tragedy if we operate on a malignancy, but we fail to deal with the malignancy of the heart, the malignancy of the soul, the malignancy of the spirit, would it not be a tragedy if we dealt with the symptoms rather than the fundamental issue that's causing those symptoms? We'll be right back with Pastor Mark Finley. We thank you for listening and hope you're enjoying today's message. Our mission is to attractively present the Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in a practical, relevant way to people around the world so that they may experience the abundant life that Christ offers and effectively share with confidence His life-changing truths with others. 
You can support this ministry and help us reach even more by going to hopelives365.com slash donate. And now, back to Pastor Mark Finley. There is a door open in Heaven's sanctuary. There's a door open in your community for you to minister the grace of God in that community. There's a door open in the hearts and minds of your patients that come to you to be ministered unto as well as physically treated. But there's another interesting expression in our passage. Did you notice it there? Here, John quotes the Old Testament. We look there at Revelation, the third chapter. And notice what scripture says in Revelation chapter 3. It says, verse 7, last part. These things says he was holy, he was true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. This is a quote from Isaiah, the 22nd chapter. What is this key of David all about? Take your Bible and turn back to Isaiah, the 22nd chapter, the 22nd verse. Now, this is the story in Isaiah 22 of the key of the sanctuary storehouse passing from Hezekiah to his servant, Eliakim. And it's a fascinating story. You pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 22, and uh, you look there at verse 20, that Eliakim is going to be clothed with the king's robe. Isaiah 22, verse 20. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe. That's the robe of the king. And strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility to his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. Are those familiar words? Where do they come from? They come from what we've read in Revelation 3. I'll take the key of the house of David. I will lay it on his shoulder. He shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. What is this all about? Eliakim was King Hezekiah's faithful servant. He, refer- he received the key of the chief steward of the royal household. He had full control and access to the royal palace and the storehouse of the king. Keys open doors and all the treasures all the riches, all the abundance of the king was opened up to the royal servant. So Jesus, the royal servant of heaven, unlocks the key of heaven's sanctuary. And at end time, all the blessings of grace. At end time, all the riches of eternity. Jesus, robed with the glories of the king, goes into the most holy place. He opens that door into the second phase of his ministry. And all the blessings of God, all the light of heaven, shining on an end-time generation to prepare it for the coming of Jesus. Here in Scripture, we might raise the question, if Jesus in his sanctuary bestows upon his earthly church all the treasures of eternity. If Jesus in his sanctuary gives gifts beyond measure, what does this have to do with health? Take your Bible, please, and turn to Revelation 11, verse 19. I suggest to you this morning that the message of health is a gift that comes by the grace of God from the sanctuary. It is not something dreamed up by human beings. 
but the message of health is a message that comes through the open door of the sanctuary, shining with the light of truth on an end-time people divinely raised up by the destiny of God. Revelation, the 11th chapter. And here is a door opened in heaven that John sees. Revelation 11, verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. And the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. John says, I looked up into heaven. And as I looked up there, I saw the door of heaven open. I saw the temple. And I saw the ark of the covenant. Where was the ark of the covenant? In the most holy place. So John says, I saw the Shekinah glory. I saw the ark of the covenant. What was in that ark? Hebrews, the ninth chapter, helps us. Hebrews chapter 9. What was in that ark? That ark of the covenant. And what does that message of the open door of the sanctuary say about health and the grace of God and the goodness of God to an end time generation? Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And we look there at verse 4. Picking up with the second phrase in verse 4 of Hebrews 9. And the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So here, in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, there's the ark of the covenant. And when we look through the open door of the sanctuary, what do we see? We see the ark. When we look in the ark, what do we see? We see Jesus, the living law, speaking to an end-time generation about obedience to the moral principles of that law. Why is that Ten Commandment law in the ark? Above the ark is the Shekinah glory of God. Because God is calling an end-time people, saved and redeemed by grace, filled with the faith of Jesus, to respond obediently to keep his law. What else is there in that Ark of the Covenant? Aaron's rod that budded. Why is that there? It was there, according to Scripture, against the rebels. It reveals church authority. So in an age of independence where everyone seems to, to go their own way. Those that are saved by grace hear Jesus appealing to them to be subject to the authority of his church at end time. We look there at the sanctuary and we see the pot of manna. What does that pot of manna speak about? The pot of manna speaks to you and me about God's provisions for our physical needs. It speaks about a message of health in end time that shines from the sanctuary. Let's go back and look at that manna that fell and see what we can discover about heaven's appeal. We're going back to Exodus, the 16th chapter. The pot of manna represents heaven's way of life in contrast to the flesh diet of Egypt. It, re it represents divine health principles. The light shining from heaven's open door of the sanctuary is an appeal at end time in two specific areas. We're looking there at Exodus, the 16th chapter. The appeal of the manna is an appeal to personally live in harmony with the light that shines through heaven's open door in health. 
the pot of manna was God's abundant provision for, I for Israel's physical health at a time of crisis. The open door of the sanctuary and the message of Christ's grace in the manna is also a message that speaks to us that God has put a gift in our hands and the manna is not to be consumed, but it's to be shared. It's to be given, not consumed merely by ourselves, but it's to be, be shared with others. It, it is really an appeal to take advantage of the light on hell shining to humanity and share this message of healthful end time living with the world. Now, Exodus the 16th chapter. Some amazing things about this manna. Exodus the 16th chapter. Here, Israel is crying out for the Egyptian way of life. Exodus 16 verse 3. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Exodus 16 3. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we are, ate bread to the full, you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with, with, with hunger. So there are two ways of life. The way of life of Egypt that only brings disease, disaster, suffering, and death in the way of life of, of eternity, the way of life of God. And so the world that we live in today has an Egyptian way of life, little exercise, high-fat diet, high-sugar diet. When the American diet is well over 40% fat and sugar, just the, the non-communicable diseases, heart disease number one, cancer number two, stroke number three, diabetes, non-communicable diseases killing us because of the way of life that the Western world has chosen. Light shines from the sanctuary. The grace of God says there is mu something much better. There is manna, heaven's way of life, heaven's provision for health. But notice here, God says... Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. Now, this is something we're going to come back to, this certain quota, that I may test them when they walk in the way of the Lord. Verse 6, then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening, know that the Lord brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Eating heaven's diet, following heaven's way of life, living in harmony with the principles of health that God gives us, we reveal the glory of the Lord by appreciating the gift and the light that shines from the grace in the sanctuary. Now, there is something here that is quite interesting. Did you notice the text itself in verse for it says, the people shall go out and gather a certain quota each day. What was that quota that they were to gather each day? Now take your Bible and go down and look at verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So when the Israelites went out to gather the manna in the morning, if there were elderly in the tent that couldn't come out, or if there were children, they gathered the manna for them. How much did they gather, everybody? How much did they gather? One what? Omer. How much is an omer? Six, it's about six pints. It'll be between six and eight pints, but about six pints, the most accurate. Six pints. Now, here's my question to you. 
Does the Bible give us any indication how many Israelites were in the wilderness? Is there ever a number given? Does it give us the number of men that went to war? How many were there? 600,000. That's what Numbers 1, verse 24 and 25 says, 600,000 men. Now, if you add women and children, the number that most students of the Old Testament are going to give you are 2 million. About 2 million Israelites. How many pints for each one? Six pints. What's that? Six pints would mean 12 million pints a day. Or 9 million pounds gathered every day. Or 4,500 tons gathered a day. I'm just getting to my point. <laughs> to put it another way, if you had 10 trains each having 30 cars full of grain, each carrying 15 tons, you'd have one day supply. 10 trains, 30 cars full of grain, 15 tons each car, that's one day supply. You gotta get that train coming tomorrow too. And the next day too, one million tons of manna plus were gathered every year for 40 years. You've been listening to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. We hope you've enjoyed today's message and remind you that you can find more in our many ministry resources at hopelives365.com. And you can support this ministry by going to hopelives365.com slash donate. And now, a final thought from Pastor Mark. This is no common hour, and you are no common medical practitioner. This is no ordinary hour, and you haven't been called to be ordinary.